thank you for being here to sing and help us with our worship today. For all of our worship assistants in the front row, thank you. We are mindful of a couple of things this day for the way in which uh, wind and rain and the horrors of hurricanes uh, complicate people's lives and unhinge people's lives. So we'll continue to pray for um, grieving that's happening in Haiti and the unhinging nature of the flood through Florida and on our east coast. I invite you to keep that in your prayers too. Also, a sad note, we, um, we learned yesterday of the death of Board of Regent member Ted Jensen and uh, announcement of Ted's life and influence here at CLU will be forthcoming, uh, as well as the announcement of when his service will be. We remember Ted and his wife Julie and their sons uh, for this loss. With that, our chapel choir leads in a prelude invocation. We are gathered to hear a special word. A word from God who promises to shelter us under the wings of hope and grace. As we gather, we hear about God. Gathered in this place, we are known in God. Amen. Let us pray. When we fall into the traps of groundless fears, you, O oh God, deliver us. When an epidemic of worry threatens to overcome us, you protect us. When harmful words are flung at us, you answer our cry for help and encourage us to be resilient. When our lives crumble, you urge us to hope. When we are tempted by wealth, you point us to share. When we are eager to grasp at lies, you wrap our hearts around the truth. God of all that is and all that is to come, bring us to a place of courage within the realm of your peace. Amen. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. 
but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come in this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Here ends the reading. How do you know that you are loved? How do you know that you are known? So one of the things I want to share with you today finds itself in the story of Lazarus. The crux of this parable is that it portrays a permanent chasm fixed between the rich man and poor Lazarus with no way to cross over the chasm. The exaggerated apocalyptic contrasts are many. The lavish meals of the rich man's table in life Contrasting with the unquenchable thirst after death, the deathly poverty of Lazarus, contrasting with his rest in the bosom of Abraham. These contrasts underscore the parable's function as an urgent warning. It was a warning, a very dramatic warning, apocalyptic wake-up call, like the dream sequences in Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. The idea is to warn still the living before it is too late. The five siblings who are still alive have time to open their eyes. They have time to see the poor people at their gates before the chasm becomes permanent. Send Lazarus to them that he might warn them, cries the rich man on behalf of his brothers and sisters, so that they do not come to this place of torment. This terrifying, vivid, apocalyptic journey to Hades awakens in us a sense of urgency. It seems to me that the story before us now, the issue of the rich man begins here. He did not know Lazarus. He did not see Lazarus. You can imagine that he could not or would not see him. How could he see him to know him as a person with history? He could not see him as more of a, as other than an extension of himself and his own needs. Who was this person before him, this poor old beggar? He was once an infant and a boy, a brother, a husband, a father, a grandfather. He had hopes and dreams. He felt disappointments. He had loss, sadness, and perhaps anger. The rich man had seen Lazarus as one known and loved by God, then perhaps this story would have ended differently. Only it appears that though their paths crossed, perhaps as much as every day or more, the rich man never saw him at all. I hear this story and I am deeply aware that on any given day, it speaks of me. I know that I am known and loved by God, but how do I know that? 
God is with me because I am seen by others. My family, my colleagues, my students see me. They talk directly to me. They ask me about my life, my family, my classes, and my students. Yet, am I Lazarus? Am I the rich man? I am both. I have been on both sides of not seeing and not being seen. So my youngest, who's here today, reminded me of this last year. It was around Christmas, and Jordan and I were at the Westfield Mall in Valencia. I was headed for the store to buy some gifts for my oldest, and Jordan was lagging behind. I'm always mindful of where she is, but not too much beyond that. I sensed that Jordan had stopped a few feet back and said in a quiet voice, that little boy doesn't have a mom. I said something like, I'm sure he does, come on. She refused. She went over to the little boy and said, you don't have a mom? I turned around then and I saw this little boy in a red shirt. We went to the end, he was obviously very scared. I picked him up and I went to the nearest store to call mall security. I said, where is your mom? He didn't say anything at all. Jordan kept saying, it's okay, it's okay. A few minutes later, the mom with four other children under the age of five came in and found us. She was happy and I was relieved. I stopped and I thanked Jordan for seeing that child. I was proud of her and I made a mental note to myself to listen to Jordan more carefully. However, the story doesn't stop there. You see, Jordan always recognizes the invisible, the poor, the marginalized. I do not. She wants me to stop and help every homeless person she sees. She asks questions like, you don't have a home? Why? You like chocolate? You see, she sees people, not poor people. She sees human beings, not homeless people. Sees people worth, worth talking to not just objects to give money or food to. I think it's because so many have treated her as invisible, being deaf, with communication issues and having some learning issues. Often people don't stop long enough to engage her fully. You see, she sees that, and although she never says it, she understands that feeling of being invisible. You know, she knows what it's like to be invisible. People pass by her and ask her a question, and when she doesn't understand or responds inaccurately, they smile and walk away. They don't think she notices, but I know she notices. She is not seen and therefore not really known by others. With the exception of Dr. Maura Martindale, who that is her profession, who asks and expects answers from Jordan, no one really interacts with my child. One day, she came to the office with me and Gail Ulandahl was there. Gail talked to her, and Jordan answered her in a way that Gail stopped and asked her what she meant. She really asked her questions about what Jordan was doing. She was making a craft. A few minutes, I thought Gail would move on by, turned into a half an hour. Jordan then asked Gail for her phone number, and to my astonishment, Gail gave it to her. Jordan, being Jordan, proceeded to call her, and to my astonishment, Gail answered. 
As a mom, I know that people have trouble seeing and knowing Jordan, and so I want to protect her. Thank God that day I experienced something different. On that day, my child was known and loved by God because on that day, Gail knew and loved her. It is up to us in this environment when we see people who don't look like us, act like us, answer like us, who are different from us, that we see them. Because in only seeing them, can we really love them? And they will know that they are known and loved by God. Amen. God, send us from this place with a word of hope. We will offer a Light eternal, send us out with the word of grace. Love without measure, send us into this world which longs for justice and love. Amen.